Hello, I'm John McAlevey, and welcome to the latest edition of the Quadcast. We have reached episode number five, which is amazing because I never thought we'd reach episode number one. So we've got some momentum and are on the right track, and the hits just keep on coming. The show has been approved and can now be found on iHeartRadio Podcasts, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. I am told that the show makes for a good listen either on your commute to or from work. And how's this for exciting? Yours truly has been asked to be a guest on the Todd Leonard Show. Who is Todd Leonard, you ask? Well, he has a radio program on Sunday mornings from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 1250 WMTR AM radio, in which he highlights people making a difference in their community. I must give a big tip of the cap to my dear friend Adam Bain, who grew up with Mr. Leonard and told him about our podcast. So if you are an early riser on Sunday mornings, please have a listen and let me know how I do on the other side of the microphone. Now on to today's show, which I'm excited for. As anyone who grew up with me knows, sports were everything to me as a child and young adult. However, when my playing days were over, physical fitness became the priority. From working out in the gym to running a few miles per night, that became a daily ritual and filled the competitive hole in my world. Fast forward to August 1992 and all that changed. Though it may seem insignificant among the things that was suddenly taken away, like walking and using my arms, was that ability to participate in something physical. I was now unable to work out some aggressions, along with a lot of sweat, at the Milburn High School track any longer. Gone were the competitive men's basketball and softball games, which still got my juices flowing. How on God's green earth was I going to scratch this rather large itch now? Did someone say coaching middle school basketball? Me? Is that some kind of joke? Not only can I no longer dribble a basketball, I can't even hold one for more than 10 seconds. How could I command a team? Plus, I was 14 years old once, and I know how teenagers can be behind a substitute's back, let alone one that walks like Quasimodo. There was no way I was going to put myself through that, or at least I thought. This coming winter will be my 20th on the bench coaching Milburn 8th grade boys recreation travel basketball. It has been a labor of love and has more than filled that competitive hole in my life. I cannot thank the recreation department, the parents of my long list of players, and ultimately those players for giving me something I thought was gone. I have to explain to a new team each and every season that I can no longer run and jump, so they have to do it for me. Oh, and this guy who can't handle the rock any longer has presided over a few championship teams and has been a part of readying numerous players to go on to have great careers in college. Thank goodness I found my niche, but let's face it, being born with a disability or suddenly becoming disabled certainly makes being involved with or participating in sports that much harder. And this is where an organization such as the Challenged Athletes Foundation comes in. In fact, taken directly from their website, here is their ultimate goal, quote, 
It is the mission of the Challenged Athletes Foundation to provide opportunities and support to people with physical challenges so they can pursue active lifestyles through physical fitness and competitive athletics. The Challenged Athletes Foundation believes that involvement in sports at any level increases self-esteem, encourages independence, and enhances quality of life, end quote. I say amen to that. CAF's Senior Director Doug Olson joins me after the break to tell us all about this outstanding organization. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin, the radio play-by-play announcer of the New Jersey Devils. I know you're enjoying the terrific content produced by my good friend John McAlevey here on the Quadcast. And I'd like to invite you to download my podcast, Pirates Talk, dedicated to Seton Hall University basketball, where you'll hear from former and current coaches and players, along with writers and broadcasters from around the country. You can subscribe to Pirates Talk on iHeart, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. I hope you'll listen soon. Thanks. And welcome back to the show. You know, when I decided to make a go of this podcast and put it on social media, I didn't know what to expect. Sure, I thought my friends and family would give it a listen and let me know. However, I wasn't sure if it would resonate with folks that I didn't know. Well, a few weeks ago, Doug Olson, after having found the show on the Kessler Institute peer page on Facebook, reached out to me unsolicited to tell me that he heard the show, had some folks he thought would be great guests, and that unfortunately his mom had a spinal cord not too long ago. Doug, thank you for listening, getting in touch, and ultimately joining us today. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. I really appreciate this opportunity. Excellent. Doug, the Challenged Athletes Foundation, or CAF for short, please tell us exactly what it is and how you got involved with them. Sure. Uh, Well, Challenged Athletes Foundation, or CAF for short, um, is a world leader nonprofit that helps people with physical challenges access sports and all of the benefits of participating in sports. So we serve people uh, with spinal cord injuries, people who have uh, cerebral palsy, spina bifida, amputees, uh, people who are blind and visually impaired. And our organization is really all about empowerment, that just because you have this physical challenge uh, that you were born with or that uh, you got from accident or from war, um, this does not mean that... um, you're limited to staying in your home the rest of your life and being on the couch, but that you have opportunities in sports and in fitness and whatever you're interested in. That's amazing. You know, I did my monologue before this on how I was a sports nut when I was a kid playing uh, as many as I could and watching them and, and reading about them and going to live sporting events. And then after I had my accident, there was that window, that, that competitive window and, and physical athlete, athletic window that I didn't know how I was going to, you know, close it again. And with me, you know, being a high spinal cord injured person, I really can't participate too much. But I found coaching and it has become a labor of love and I'm involved. I'm around the game. And, you know, I love when there's a scoreboard and there's a time clock and I want to have one more point than the next guy. So it uh, it gets my juices flowing. And so your organization is uh, is amazing with that. Tell our listeners about Jim McLaren and how it all came about. 
Yes, Jim McLaren. Jim McLaren. He's is just a legend um, in the world of adaptive sports and people with physical challenges. You know, really excelling in sports. Um, so, Jim McLaren um, back in 1985 was a a Yale University uh, a graduate. He was a star football player from Yale. Um, he was studying acting in New York City. And he was on his motorcycle and was hit by a New York City bus. Wow. And um, from that accident back in 1985, he was, um, he became a left leg below the knee amputee. So um, he had this, you know, horrible accident. And, um, but he was, but his, he as a person was always an athlete, right? He always enjoyed uh, competition. Uh, whatever sport it was, you know, football, running, all that. So he he kind of said to himself, you know, I have this accident, I have this injury, um, but what's next for me? What's next? And he just started running, um, still competing in sports, um, and even though he had this prosthetic leg. So uh, he did the New York City Marathon uh, shortly after his accident. And he did it um, in three hours and 16 minutes. Wow. That's and, unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Um, and he he just continued to do sports. And over that time, really, at such a young age, he started to inspire a lot of people who had physical injuries, um, you know, various injuries. And people kind of looked at him. He was sort of a celebrity um, in, in, uh, the world of, you know, physical disabilities, because he was doing all these amazing things and inspiring people like, Oh, I could do that. If he, you know, he could do that. I can do that. Right. Um, and so he kept doing that. And then, um, fast forward to 1993. So that's eight years later from his, uh, his accident in New York city, he was, uh, participating in the mission Viejo California triathlon. He was on his bike. Uh, he was, you know, of course, a leg amputee. He was on his bike. He was competing. And um, someone uh, had led a car onto this closed uh, course, um, this closed race course. Oh, boy. And when he was on his bike going fast and, and the um, car went right into him, he went flying and um, hit a signpost. Uh, and instantly became, you know, broke his back, instantly became a quadriplegic. Unbelievable. So, you know, that was accident number two uh, mm -hmm. back in 1993. And Jim, a few of Jim's friends um, from the, you know, San Diego triathlon community, very close friends of Jim's, um, competed in a lot of triathlons with him, said, you know, we got to do something um, to get Jim back in the game, back into sports, in the game of life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jim was not sure what he would be able to do after that. Um, and so these these friends, these, these three guys, uh, Bob Babbitt, uh, Jeffrey Esikow, and Rick Kozlowski, um, who were the founders of Challenge Athletes Foundation, um, they um, went to him and said, listen, Jim, we want to get you active. We're going to raise some money to get you an adaptive van to get you out and be able to do some things. So they started 
um, this little triathlon in La Jolla, California, uh, where they raise uh, over $40,000 for an adaptive van for him. Wow. But the key thing here is from that particular event, they found all these people in the community saying, hey, um, I have a brother who's missing an arm. Um, um, I'm um, blind. Um, I have a sister who has cerebral palsy. Uh, can you help? The, can you help us? Can you help us get to, into sports? Can you help us participate in, in the sports that we love? Yeah. And and really was from that moment that the three gentlemen that I just talked about decided, hey, we got to do something not only for Jim, but we got to do something for all these other people who need our help, who have physical challenges. And that's where in 1994, uh, CAF was founded as a uh, 501c3 nonprofit organization. Wow. I mean, the poor guy has those two mishaps, but look what happens out of that. I mean, you've been, I mean, you'll give us the numbers later on, all the folks that you've been able to, to help through the years. And speaking of that, in what ways does CAF help a family? What sort of services do you ultimately provide someone? Sure, sure. Well, um, we ha- I want to let you know that we help people in 103 different sports. So any sport, pretty much any sport you can think of, we're helping somebody in. Wow. Wheelchair basketball, wheelchair lacrosse, blind bowling, uh, adaptive golf, uh, mono skiing, downhill skiing, um, pretty much anything you can think of. I wasn't even um, sure there were 103 sports in the world, but that's that's uh, something to learn. There is. There is. Um, so we help people in several different ways, our, our programs. So the main thing is that for an adaptive sports wheelchair for uh, wheelchair basketball, which is one of our most popular sports, or wheelchair tennis, or uh, a hand cycle, or uh, a racing wheelchair, those are not covered by health insurance. And so what happens is most people do not have the funds to pay out of pocket to buy those wheelchairs. So they can be anywhere from $2,500 to $8,000. Wow. And if you're an amputee and you, you get, you know, you come out of the hospital with your walking leg, well, what if you want to run? What if you want to run in a race with your child, um, you know, a little 5K? What if you, um, you know, want to participate in track and field? Well, that running leg is not covered by insurance and it can cost at the least $15,000. Unbelievable. And, um, so there's a, there's a, there's a, a barrier to entry for people with physical challenges to get into sports. So there's, there's that equipment, uh, aspect. So we have a program, it's a grants program where people apply online on our website, challengedathletes.org, and they can apply during our grant cycle um, to get these pieces of equipment. Um, Or they can apply for training. They want to get training in a specific sports, and they don't have the funds to do that. Or suppose they want to go to 
a regional or national or international competition in their sport. You know, there's a, you know, a national uh, wheelchair lacrosse uh, championship um, in another state, and they don't have the funds to do that. They can apply online through our grants program. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's really based on, you know, physical need that you have the physical challenge that, you know, you have letters of recommendation from your doctors and coaches and things. Um, but then also there's the financial need Sure, that you have to be somebody who has, um, that financial need. I mean, the 62% of the people that we help, um, are in households that earn less than $50,000 a year. Sure. Um, so there has to be that financial need. So, no doubt. um, so the grants program is a huge part of what we do. We've awarded 30,000 grants over the last, you know, uh, 26 years um, in that particular program. Mm -hmm. We also have a program that's camps and clinics. So camps and clinics, meaning around the country, we have um, these camps and clinics that teach amputees how to run. How do you run with a prosthetic? Mm-hmm. Um, we teach people, um, who are paralyzed, spina bifida, um, other types of physical challenges, how to swim, um, that you can swim, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's so many people, um, who have a similar injury to your loved one who have done these things and that can show your loved one how to do it. Yeah. Um, so we have these camps and clinics. We have surf adaptive surf clinics um, that we had one, uh, you know, recently or uh, before the pandemic in um, Long Beach, New York, adaptive surf clinic. Um, we do, um, you know, swim clinics all around the country. Uh, we've done wheelchair lacrosse clinics, wheelchair basketball, um, just so many different things that really teach people how to do these these dis, these basic disciplines. No doubt. And Doug, if our listeners want to donate to CAF, can you provide a website for us or a phone number for them sure. to do so if they wish? Sure. Um, yeah, to donate to help our injured me- veterans and, and, and um, injured kids and teens that we help and adults, it's uh, challengedathletes.org. Very good. Challengedathletes.org. And how about volunteers? I mean, you must need volunteers to help with all these different athletic disciplines. Is that something that you're always looking for? Yes. We're always looking for volunteers. And again, you could go to our website, challengedathletes.org, and you can sign up um, for, you know, you know, various volunteering, whether it's a specific sport or you just want to volunteer at any of the events that are in your community, mm-hmm. uh, you want to be a part of a committee, um, there, there's many, many opportunities. Speaking of those events, I took a look at your calendar on your website, and wow, I mean, there's something going almost each and every day. Um, how has this coronavirus pandemic affected what CAF has been able to do event-wise? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really uh, made it very difficult for us as an organization to, um, you know, have our in-person programs for people. Um, So we've really had to pivot because of COVID and pivot to online and virtual types of events and connecting. Um, So look, 
50% of the people we serve are have some sort of condition that would make them immunocompromised, where they're more susceptible to having significant complications if they got COVID-19. Yes. So, you know, like if you have a spinal cord injury, uh, especially upper level spinal cord injury, you really have to be very, very careful, even more so than than any and then you know somebody without an injury. I, I I'll um, tell you not to interrupt, but I other than to pick up curbside stuff at the pharmacy, I really have not left my house in the last two and a half to three months. Yes, yes, and so that's what we're facing. And we we help people who are cancer survivors who lost their leg um, due to the kind of cancer that they had. They're more susceptible. So anyway, we're pivoting our programs to be virtual. We're reaching out to our athletes so that they have that community still, right? Yes. So the isolation uh, for anybody is a lot. But if you have a physical disability, the isolation is even more. And suppose you're an um, injured military hero who you know served in Iraq and Afghanistan, has a, a physical injury, has the you know PTSD from their experiences and then is now isolated. So we're reaching out to all those people to make sure that they know they're they have somebody that they're cared for. Um, so we've done a lot, a lot of Zooms going on. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know, people in business are doing a lot of Zoom, but we're you know even with our programs doing yes. a lot of Zoom, Facebook Live, and all that stuff. Sure. Doug, what I think is really super cool about what you guys do, and I, you can see it, it's all over your website, is that a lot of the work you do is with young people. And to see the smiles on their faces, that they're able to participate in sporting events that they never, or their families, their mothers and fathers never thought that their children would be able to do. Uh, first of all, how old is your youngest athletes and how old are your oldest participants? Wow. Yeah. So, you know, with our grand program, I, I believe last year, our youngest, youngest was five years old. And I think our oldest was something years old, 85, uh, maybe 83 years old. Mm. So it's a, it's a, it's a wide range, um, of, you know, people and, um, you know, a lot of kids that we serve who, um, have congenital conditions, um, many who have acquired conditions through, um, you know, immune, uh, immune conditions or they were in accidents, car accidents and things like that. So, um, you know, we're changing their lives early on, you know, so, you know, you think about people who were injured 40 years ago, and there was none of this stuff. There was they didn't have these types of programs. So, right. you know, we're making a difference. You know, early on in a, in a child's life. There's no doubt about that. And Doug, having worked on behalf of the disabled community for many years, do you think that has prepared you in any way for now having your mom a spinal cord injury survivor? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I started at Challenge Athletes Foundation uh, almost six years ago and, um, you know, have met so many people, uh, you know, in hospitals and rehab facilities and everywhere. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden, uh, a little bit over a year ago, my mother sustains a spinal cord injury, an upper, upper level spinal cord injury. And uh, wow. 
Uh, it really hit home my work and personally. And, but you know what? It prepared me because of my work and yeah. and all the contacts I have. So you know, the contacts with great or other great organizations like the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, uh, Kessler Institute, Kessler Foundation. Um, you know, uh, Burke Rehabilitation. There's so many great um, places out there. So um, it is. It's helped me. It's helped me a lot. No doubt. It yeah. must have felt like a twilight zone, right? You got that phone call, and it's like, yeah. oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it's just like, what is happening here? Like, how is this possible? I know. Um, and um, you know, the community route. The community rallies around each other. You know, there, there's a real con- continuum of care. I mean, I, I think, you know, CAF, Challenge Athletes Foundation, works in empowering people through adaptive sports. And But first, you know, someone goes to an acute care hospital and they go to a rehab hospital, um, you know, like Kessler or Burke or Craig. And then, you know, there's other organizations that help people along. And, you know, CAF plays a really valuable role in there. And and, and creating a quality of life, you know, it's, you know, somebody who, you know, just said, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm just, my life's over. I'm, there's nothing for me to do. Yeah. And then you introduce them to somebody with a similar injury who's doing these various sports and you, you, you hold, you hold their hand and you, you take them along. And then all, all of a sudden they feel empowered. They participate. They, they start a little bit. And they do more and they do more. And then they're like, wow, I can do this. You know, there's, there's opportunity for me. Yeah. So I don't have to sit in the corner anymore for the rest of my life. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I I just love it. I can be a part of it. Well, Doug, I want to thank you so much for joining us and highlighting your most worthy foundation. And I tell you, I look forward to meeting you once the restrictions are further lifted and it's safe for many of us with the high level injuries that we talked about are able to venture out again. I know. Thanks so much, John. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure. And when we come back, one of Doug's friends through CAF, Glenn Hartrick, shares his story of competing in triathlon events before and after a spinal cord injury. His amazing journey is next. Infinite Therapy Solutions is a pediatric therapy clinic providing services in Hudson and Essex counties for five years. If your child is having difficulty with speech, motor skills, behavioral triggers, or physical movement, you can count on their exceptional therapists for help. Infinite Therapy Solutions provides physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, and behavioral therapy to children ages 0 to 21. Come to a warm, professional clinic to receive the best care to help your child achieve their highest potential. My friend Hillary would be happy to answer any questions for you at 201 455 3144. They take insurances, so call to inquire. There are two locations in West Orange and Bayonne. Check out their website at infinitetherapysolutions.org. And we're back. In doing some background research on Glenn Hartrick, I found this amazing quote from his website, glennhartrick.com, quote, live life through the windshield and not the rearview mirror. Anything is possible, end quote. Glenn, thank you for coming on and welcome to the show. No, thanks for having me. It's good to get to talk to you. Excellent. Boy, that was very profound. Where do those words come from? You know, 
when uh, about six years ago, this month in June, I literally went through a windshield and I was paralyzed from the chest down. I was in a, involved in a car accident. I was on my bicycle and, you know, trying to find motivation and strength to literally pick up the pieces, understand that bad things happen, i.e. this accident. And I have to look forward, right? There's nothing I can do to change what's happened. The only thing I can change is my mindset to make sure that it's positive as we move forward and make sure that I'm able to live the life that I want to live. So came up with the quote and stuck by it. And, uh, you know, it's, we continue to look at it every single day. I love it. I love it. Words to live by. Uh, Glenn, one thing I'd like to do with my guests is to uh, begin by talking about what their lives were like before the spinal cord injury. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself prior to the accident, what were some of your aspirations, goals, and some sports that you were involved in? Yeah, so uh, I have a finance uh, background. I work, work for a rail construction company. Um, you know, I was five years into it. Uh, got my undergraduate degree from University of Houston, have my MBA from Seton Hall, and I also was teaching part-time uh, as of June of 2014. But, you know, aside from that, I mean, I was a very competitive person growing up. I grew up in Texas, and I uh, migrated to the greater New York City area shortly after high school, I mean, after college, rather. You know, my dad uh, passed away. Uh, he was a victim of suicide. And so I graduated from college and figured I needed a life reset. So it brought me to the Big Apple and uh, it kind of stuck and I love it here. And so that kind of competitiveness that I've always had, you know, as a kid playing team sports really migrated over into, uh, you know, kind of some bucket list items where I ran the New York City Marathon for the first time in 2006. And that really was a catalyst for my endurance career. And after that, it really just took off from doing local 5Ks to marathons, triathlons, to all the way up through Ironman. And kind of up until my accident, I had competed in almost 200 different events. And sometimes you could find me on a weekend, on a Saturday and a Sunday, doing a local race, just because I love the camaraderie. I love pushing myself. I love challenging myself, setting goals. Um, and then again, just I'm just ultra competitive. And, and I love to see a sport and see anything in life where you can see improvement day over day, weeks over weeks, month over month. And I could see myself getting better in a, in a 5k, in a marathon. And that was inherently motivating for me and uh, really kept pushing me and challenging myself and mm -hmm. kind of raising the bar. And, uh, I loved it. So that was, that was me in a, in a nutshell, okay. uh, you know, now triathlons are certainly not for the faint of heart. How did that become, uh, participating in those become an idea for you? Well, I'd done the marathon at that point, and, uh, you know, I I always was looking for, you know, always kind of looking for the, not the next thing. I enjoyed, the, you know, what I'm doing at the moment, but, um, you know, I'd always heard of this triathlon thing, and then everybody sees on NBC, you know, this Ironman competition, um, fittest athletes in the world. So I figured, you know what, let me uh, let me buy a $100 bike off Craigslist, and I'll drive down to the Jersey Shore and Long Branch, and I'll give this triathlete thing a go, and I tried it. I loved it. Fell in love. Upgraded my bike, and then uh, kind of the rest was history. So you know, I ended up doing Ironman Wisconsin in 2009, and and then uh, you know I did five Ironmans in total before my accident. And uh, mm -hmm. our ultimate goal was to make it to Kona. Um, I missed it by a minute and a half in, in the Ironman New York in 2002, uh, over a nine-hour and 50-minute race. But uh, that kind of you know, fuel the fire, if you will, mm -hmm. for just, again, trying to get back and get better and be better and just, you know, be the best that I can be. And I got to be honest, I live in Jersey City and 
there's not yeah i can't imagine coming up with a better start to the day than the runs that i would have along the hudson river with the sun coming up over new york city just a good metaphor and just some symbolism for a great way to start the day a refresher and it was just the perfect way for me both physically and mentally um, to be the best that I could be. Sure, sure. I know you mentioned it earlier, but tell us about June 12, 2014, and and the day that changed your life in an instant. And, you know, I, it was a Thursday morning, and Thursday mornings, the triathlon group in, in Jersey City and Hoboken would typically ride up River Road and 9W, which is the bicyclist haven coming over New York over the George Washington Bridge, and we would ride to the New York State Line and back. In total, it was 44 miles, and this ride we would do every Thursday, we would do it faster and harder every single Thursday. We would push each other and challenge each other to really, you know, again, be the best that we could be. And this Thursday, I went out on my own for whatever reason, business traveler, what have you, people were unable to attend. And so on the way back, just south of the George Washington Bridge, a car makes an illegal U-turn and hits me. And that's where I had to impact go through the windshield and where I'm instantly paralyzed from the chest down. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How important was it, uh, Glenn, after the accident for you to have the support of family and friends? Oh, it's huge. So, you know, and then I think it was vice versa. I mean, it was important for, for them as it was for me and me as for them, you know. And because, you know, as, as a triathlete, as a cyclist, as a family, a, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, right, it could be me too, right? So, you know, I could be one of those people, right? They realized that could have been them. And, you know, having that support group that was there with me the whole time, you know, still challenging me and pushing me to to be better and to push myself in physical therapy um, and, and continue to challenge me because they knew who I was. They knew that by pushing me, that was, was going to get me back um, to being physically and mentally in the best shape to be able to continue on with my life. Um, you know, but having folks there, you know, kind of rallying around me, um, visiting in the hospitals, I would take my cue from them. They would take their cue from me. We were all trying to be strong together. And, you know, I had the most amazing friends and support group um, that, that anybody could have ever asked for that made this transition as, I don't want to call it easy. Right. It certainly was, it was anything but easy, but it made it as, as, as let's put it this way, seamless as, as it possibly could have been. Sure, sure. As someone that was an avid runner back in the day myself, I mean, I wasn't doing uh, big numbers. I'd do a, you know, a mile or two a night just to stay in shape. I yeah. know that the mental aspect of running uh, is just as important as the physical because, you know, at any point you could just say when the going got tough, I'm out of here, I'm going to stop, I'm not going to go on any further. Uh, so first of all, is that something that you would agree with, that the mental aspect is big? And if so, did you use that athletic mindset to attack your PT and OT? No, I, I certainly did. I mean, you know, and everything that the world is going through today, I mean, that mental aspect is such a big, a big key of it. And, and, you know, when I'm running and cycling and swimming, that was my opportunity to really, you know, de-stress and, and not worry about, you know, the, the worries of the world or what I'm personally, physically, mentally dealing with. Right. I mean, it just really let my mind wander and, and, and that mental benefit, again, and I talked about when I used to run and the sun's coming up over New York city, I don't have a care in the world. I'm not thinking about a thing other than what's in front of me and my mind's wandering and songs are coming into my head. And I just, you know, and I know a lot of people say, you know, I can't run around the block. I hate running. I hate running. But if you can kind of get over that hump 
you know, to be able to just experience that for, you know, a minute a day, you know, you know, a couple miles a day, right. It will really open up kind of your mindset, right. Into just like kind of a beautiful place. And, you know, it just really worked wonders. And then the question about how I use that in therapy, I mean, I, I correlated the success I had as an athlete based upon the experiences that I had learned in various races. So I saw the progression over time and I literally knew that it was a marathon and not a sprint. Right. So I applied that same logic to my recovery. And I knew that, you know, obviously, you know, I'm paralyzed from the chest down. Uh, I had nine broken ribs. I broke my jaw. It was wired shut, broken scapula. Um, I had blood clots. Um, what else? I had both collapsed lungs. So all of these things, you know, were, were kind of building upon themselves. And at one point I just, I remember this one day I broke down because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't put a shirt on. I couldn't put socks and shoes on. And I go from being in the best shape of my life and very independent to not being able to brush my teeth and brush my hair and put on a shirt and, you know, and so I had to take a moment to really decompress and realize that I have to look at this as in small victories that's going to lead into what ultimately is going to be my new normal. And once I was able to apply the same kind of theology that I used racing um, and training over to my recovery, great. The mindset changed, um, you know, the positivity started coming out and then all of a sudden I'm able to do some of these, which might seem like trivial tasks at the time. Um, but it gave me again, a lot of inherent motivation um, to keep really pushing through and challenging myself, um, you know, as I progressed through my, you know, recovery. I learned as soon as I got to Kessler the term, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Now, along those lines, and after the initial shock of your injury wore off, how long did it take for you to start thinking of different ways that you could participate in triathlons again? You know, it didn't take me long at all because I tried to find a way to build up the strength that I needed. Um, in order to be able to push around a wheelchair, you know, around New York city and around my home. And I realized real quickly that there were some things that correlated into kind of that, that success, if you will. Um, so I'm sitting in my, I was about to refer to it again as my, uh, hotel bed when I'm sitting in Kessler, it's anything but a hospital bed. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work with the PTs and OTs and understand exactly, you know, what I needed to do. And they're asking me to do to build up my strength. And I quickly saw an organization called the Challenged Athletes Foundation that provided, you know, different sports equipment for individuals in order to compete back in the game of life and sport. And so once I found that, I realized very quickly that a racing hand cycle will allow me to build up the strength in my arms and my shoulders um, that I needed to push myself around. So I go ask the folks at Kessler in the outpatient facility because I saw they had a hand cycle if I could use their hand cycle. Initially, they told me no, because that was for uh, outpatients. Um, <laughs> however, I was persistent, and they uh, ended up acquiescing, and I ended up, I got some pictures, and the first time I ever tried it, I was an inpatient. I could barely make my way around one loop of the parking lot. But um, you know, I was in it, and I did it, and I knew from that moment that that was going to be my outlet to get me back to being the athlete, the person that I uh, needed to be. Yes, yes. And now before you came on, uh, I spoke with Doug Olson from the Challenged Athletes Foundation. Oh, when, nice. Yeah. When did you, I guess you said you first found out about it when you were an outpatient. How did um, 
they help you? What have they done for you? Uh, and what does the organization mean to you? Yeah, so actually I found them when I was an inpatient. And then when I was an outpatient, that's actually when I met Doug at Kessler one day. And they offered, you know, to, you know, medical equipment for uh, folks with physical disabilities and folks specifically with, you know, uh, spinal cord injuries, you know, a key for that. You know, a lot of people participate that it allows, you know, a, a tremendous amount of participation or hand cycles. And so they have a grant process period and it's in the fall. And I filled out the grant application process and they kind of said, what are some of your goals and things that you want to do? And I said specifically next year in 2015, I want to come back and do the New York City Marathon. So fast forward in the March of 2015, I received my hand cycle from uh, CAF. And as soon as I got it, all of my friends knew I was getting it. And that same group of people that I would traditionally go ride with on Thursday morning met me at Liberty State Park with two and a half feet of snow on the on the snow on the side of the of the sidewalks and the streets and we went out and I uh, did my first ride and it was it was kind of one of the most amazing experiences of my life and and again kind of like when I knew the first time I mean I, I knew I was back at that moment. Mm-hmm. Have you have you um, raced with any other folks from the Challenged Athletes Foundation? Have you met many other folks? I mean I'm I'm pretty new to them and it's funny I'll be at this game as a as a disabled person for 28 years now. I had never heard of them before. They just seem like a just a tremendous organization. Yeah, they are. And, and, you know, I, indirectly I've raced with them in many, many marathons going back to my first marathon. I mean, I remember, you know, racing and running alongside folks with prosthetic legs and thinking how, how I'm, I'm getting passed by someone with prosthetic legs. How is that even possible? Um, but now those are my friends, right? So I've met a lot, obviously a lot of the folks, a lot of the kids and a lot of the adults that have been with the organization for, for quite some time and, and the amount of work and, and, uh, you know, support that they provide to so many people and so many people, fam- many families. And I think one of the, one of the biggest things that they provide is they, you know, especially for kids, you know, is that in day to day, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm 38 now and I was 32 when my, when my accident happened. I, I had really never known, I had nobody in my circle, um, you know, that was, uh, that was in a wheelchair or had prosthetics, but, you know, for kids to be able to meet other, meet other kids that are just like them, right? When this is like their normal, um, is really, really important and really helps drive, I think, some positive behaviors and influences and challenges in, in, uh, in the lives of, of not only the, the kids, you know, but their families and, and surrounding networks. No doubt. They can be a part of it, right? They're not on the sidelines Absolutely. anymore. They can, they can participate and be a part of it. And the smiles on their face are, you know, from East to West. Um, how about Glenn, how many events have you participated in triathlon wise and how different, how different is your preparation for them now than it was before your accident? So I, you know, I've probably participated in like eh, probably over 50 events now. It's probably 75 you know, as a, as a physically challenged athlete, you know, from marathons, 5Ks to triathlons, um, you know, but the biggest challenge for me is in the past, I could put my, put my bike in the car and drive down and do a race and no problem. But now I have to rely on so many people to help me do everything. And, and people are really generous of their time um, and, and support, you know, but, you know, I hate relying on people for so much all the time, mm. but that's the biggest hurdle for me. And the biggest difference in, in preparation is that, I just have so much equipment. I mean, if I want to go do a triathlon, I have a hand cycle, I have a racing wheelchair, I have my regular wheelchair, 
And then I had to take so much just general like medical supplies, as you well know, mm-hmm. you know, with me in order to even do any of these races. So, you know, it's not an easy task, especially if you have to fly, but you know, preparation aside for training wise, not much has changed. I'm, I've always been a data driven individual and when I'm on my bike, you know, I use a power meter and when I'm in the pool, I mean, it's the same thing, obviously it's functionally different. Um, you know, but the same strategies and heart rate monitoring and the data I use from like Strava to track all my training, that's all the same. So, you know, I prepare, I over-prepare and, you know, one of the benefits that I've had for when I went to, you know, the Ironman world championships in uh, October of 2018 was, I know what it's like to train for a triathlon. I know what it's like to train for an Ironman. And I just applied those same skills, right. As a physically challenged athlete, I'm doing it differently, but it's all one and the same. What's next for you, Glenn? What is the next big goal? Do you have something that, uh, uh, that you haven't accomplished yet that you really want to tackle? Oh man, that's a, it's a good question. You know, I, I, I want to continue to do one marathon every single year, at least. I mean, it ends up being multiple ones. Luckily this year I got one in at Disney, but I want to qualify for the Boston marathon. So I have to get under two hours in the racing wheelchair. Um, which is going to be quite a challenge. But next year when I turn 40, um, it goes to 215. So it gives me a little bit more hope. So that's the, that's the next plan. And that's, that's kind of the goals that I, uh, go, next goal that I have in mind. Well, that's awesome. And Glenn, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I want to wish you the best of luck in the future. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time and supporting everything that, uh, that we all do. And just like that, another show is in the books. Thank you again to Doug Olson from the Challenged Athletes Foundation and Ironman triathlete Glenn Hartrick for joining me. And here's a special thank you to the happy birds chirping in the background during Glenn's interview. Gotta love a sunny spring day. Another stellar job mixing the show, Chris Parapesco from Sound Lounge in New York City. And don't forget that you can access the show anytime and anywhere on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. Now, I do not have a committed guest for next week yet, so you will just have to drop by next Thursday to see if one develops. And remember to mark your calendars for Sunday, June 21st from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. to hear me appear on the Todd Leonard Show. That's 12.50 a.m. Radio WMTR. On behalf of the good folks here at the Quadcast, I'm John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. <laughs>